Welcome to this week's Into the Wilderness podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Daryl Pace, and the man sitting next to me is uh, Byron Pace, my brother. And uh, for any new listeners, because we do get new listeners every every show, we get new emails and uh, messages from people, so we, we are getting new listeners all the time. Um, this is the UK's largest uh, countryside fishing, shooting, adventure... Conservation. Conservation podcast. It kind of covers it all, that's why... All the outdoors stuff. That's what we like to cover. Yeah, outdoor. With an emphasis on hunting and fishing. Yeah, there is, indeed. And uh, if you want to know more about us, there is uh, previous shows where we've done exchanges with other podcasts, and you can hear all about our background. And more recently, we were just on the Yorkshire Gent podcast, talking all about ourselves. Two weeks ago from when this podcast goes out. And uh, failing that, go visit our website, Yep, www.thepacebrothers.com. On there, you will find... I really need to update the spiel about us, actually, but uh, that is a work in progress. Um, but there is some stuff about... It hasn't there. been updated for... Not almost, since we almost, made the website. <laughs> two and a half. No, in fact, it would be three years. Three yeah. years, three years uh, ago, at least before we updated that. But um, there is a lot of other good stuff on there, and uh, there's a blog on there. There's the link to all the podcasts on there, and there is also a shop, which, since I'm bringing it up at this point, I'll mention the few things that I wanted to talk about on the shop. Uh, we have have all of our merchandising on there it's growing fairly steadily yeah um, we've got some really quite cool uh designed t-shirts on there there's a, a few of the old stock left but and they're only, heavily discounted only in small, small medium. medium uh so go and check that out because they're, they're almost gone and then all the new designs as well we have our coffee which we've mentioned in the last couple of shows there is two coffees out. There's one called the McNab. Now, if you're not a UK listener, you might not know what the McNab is, but uh, a McNab is, uh, it's kind of, I don't want to say a competition, but it's an achievement. It's a, cha- a challenge or achievement, Yeah, I guess. which there is no medal for. It's just a cool thing to be able to do, which is within the space of 24 hours, um, successfully hunt and kill a stag, catch an Atlantic salmon, and shoot a grouse. If you if you ask a anyone, brace of grouse. Actually. If you ask anyone in the UK about the McNab, they'll know what it is you're you're talking about. So it's quite a big thing it here is. to one have the opportunity to ever do it, but secondly, actually achieve the McNab. I haven't achieved a McNab. I haven't really tried to do it, but I haven't achieved one. Uh, So that is the name of one of our coffees. And we are one pound of every bag of coffee goes to help fund conservation and research at the Game and Wildlife Conservation Trust. And the other coffee that we have out is the other spectrum of field sports that we enjoy, which is fishing. Uh, That is called the ghillie, uh, which again, if you're, I'm not sure if actually if they use the term ghillie for fishing, I think they say fishing guide in the States, don't they? It definitely won't be spelt the way. No, it won't. So Gilly is basically a fishing guide, uh, and that is spelt the Scottish way with an H. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So that is our our second coffee, and one pound of every bag of that goes towards salmon trout conservation. Uh, They do a lot of hard work lobbying government to to change regulation legislation. Their focus is our wild fish species, which is what Uh, we're all about. With uh, an even more of a focus right now on fish farming, which is uh, a big problem in our country. And across the globe, actually, not just our country, but 
uh, they're doing some really good work when yeah, it comes to that. Trying to encourage make people accountable. better practices. Yeah. Yeah, better accountable practices. and better better practice. Uh, I, I might add as well that uh, all of our products in the shop, actually, uh, we give 10% towards um, conservation projects. Basically, um, unless it's already assigned to something, uh, we'll just have a pot at the end of the year. Uh, we will probably have three charities or two charities and we'll let the listeners um, and our followers decide who who's going to get it. I yeah. think that's what, what we'll do at the end of the year. So uh, last time, we the money that we had uh, made from the shop, we we gave that to something that we were raising for money for at the time, yeah. which was uh, the Lawiru Sanctuary uh, for the chimpanzees. Which, incidentally, we just got an email from last week saying thank you very much, they've received the money, um, and hopefully we're going to get some pictures and videos in the next few weeks. And they couldn't say thank you enough. So for all those people that if you cast your mind back or you've just started listening and you're listening about chimpanzees, uh, a lot of people donated some money and uh, and our aim was to house uh, a chimpanzee uh, for a year. Well, it was feed and house, everything that went with it uh, for an entire year. I can't year. remember the actual amount. I think we needed to raise 600 and something. 660 and I think in the end we raised almost 900 it was over nine hundred dollars. No, we I, sent them. So yeah, we did send the money ages ago. By the way, for those people wondering, I thought you sent the money ages ago. Now you're only getting a response. They're really busy doing a good job out there, which is looking after the wildlife. So they've only just had time to to get back to us now. But and they did apologise for the the late email as well. So we we forgive them because they're doing what they're meant to be doing. On the shop, you will also find. The Modern Huntsman magazine. Uh, now, the, it landed about two weeks ago now. Uh, we had a whole bunch of pre-orders. We mentioned it, I, th- I think we mentioned it on the podcast, but we certainly put it on our social media that we were getting in um, a bulk order of it. And they're basically, they're all gone. They're gone. <laughs> uh, so thank you very much for those people who pre-ordered. Uh, you should have them. If you don't have them, they're being sent out today. Uh, and we have another shipment coming in the next two weeks. So if you go onto the shop, you will be able to order in Modern Huntsman. As, as soon as they arrive, they'll be they'll be sent out. So if you order one today, it will be sent out as as soon as it arrives, because um, we're we're continuously ordering some. Uh, which and we are in fact that will be the cheapest in the UK. Yeah, so we I think we're in Europe as well. I, I think so. We were just trying to we we in the last couple of days we've just been tweaking uh, how it gets shipped for our European uh, followers and listeners and people who use our shop to make sure that it, it makes sense for you to get it from here rather than get it as a single copy all the way over from the states. Um, so if you order straight off the Modern Huntsman um, website, which you can do, but it'll cost you close to thirty pounds. Uh, whereas we, we can deliver it for twenty five. That's what it's on the shop for right yeah. now. So uh, just because we're you know we're one of the stockers and we're ordering and we're ordering a large volume. Uh, the only other thing I think you know, on the shop, we're talking a lot about the shop today. Um, uh, get your wallet out, spend lots of money. <laughs> um, is the car stickers? Uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago, and we put a little poll online asking if people would purchase them uh, for a small amount. And we we basically we're sending it for cost, so it is. The price of the sticker and the postage is what you're paying for uh, because we want to run competitions with these car stickers, but also we uh, would love you guys to help us out by having them on your car and spread the word, spread the word of the podcast as well. Um, and what we're going to do from 
maybe next month, end of next month, when we've got more car stickers out, um, we're going to start running competitions where if we spot them, basically if we spot a car sticker, then we'll get get a prize. We're going to have to start carrying around stuff in our car. Yeah. I just wanted to add on the Modern Huntsman magazine, if you don't know what that is, you can read a, a very brief spiel on the shop, but you can visit their website. We did a podcast with the guys behind it um, maybe six months ago when they were trying to basically get the project up and running. I haven't consumed the hot... It's almost insulting to call it a magazine because it's actually more of a book. It's a book. Yeah, <laughs> It's absolutely stunning. It is beautiful. The photography it is, w- is amazing. Oh. And it is definitely one that you have on a bookshelf. And it's a collection. So, you know, this is number one. You want number one. Yeah. So... Uh, very, very different to any hunting and outdoors magazine you probably have ever read. The only way that I can compare it is it's like it's a the stories in it are is a little bit like reading a chapter from Aldo, one of Aldo Leopold's books. It is very much about the experience. You're not going to find gun reviews in there and talking about ballistics of ammunition. You're or talking advertising. about the, or advertising. You're looking at real stories and experiences, and it's a complete breath of fresh air. Uh, we're massively supportive of what the guys uh, have one done. One of our pictures is in it. Yes, and a credit. A credit. So, uh, so go go and check that out. It's fantastic. It will, will it would definitely will blow you away. They've set the bar of where publishing needs to needs to be. Definitely. Now, before we move on to the very exciting show that we've got ahead, which is an hour and a half long, uh, we have uh, the competitions, which I know you guys all love. And uh, we've got competition winner, and we've got the next competition to be announced. And I think you've actually got something else written down. Uh, I've got a couple of things here. So well, I'll do the competition since you mentioned it. So the winner of the competition two weeks ago, which was to win a vintage Hornady sign, it is unbelievable the amount of entries we get for things like vintage Hornady signs <laughs> it's and in, beer it's in, mugs. It's in the hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> but the winner randomly selected off Instagram was Charlie Hartley. So congratulations, Charlie. Contact us and we will get your address and we'll get that sent out to you. The next competition is to win a set of Smith Optics shooting glasses. Now, we've given a lot of these away, but most of them are actually different. They're not all the same models because they make tons of different types of shooting glasses. So these are the Aegis Arc uh, regular fit glasses. They're they're not tinted. They're just a straightforward, see-through clear ballistic glass wraparound safety glasses so that is what you have a chance to win and we are going to run a picture competition so uh what did we oh we decided it was going to be um, eating eating local eating local um we're going to run it on um instagram facebook and if you don't use social media then you can just email the show podcast at paceproductionsuk.com and send in the email and on instagram just tag us in the picture and we save them um, or screenshot them so that we at the end of the two weeks we have got a huge list uh, of of people so looking forward to your entries on that now i've got a, a small announcement to make because this came from one of our podcast listeners and we like to fulfill requests slightly not something i've done it's out with of something that we've ever talked about but in scotland uh, at schoon palace which is just down the road from us here uh in i actually don't think i wrote down the month but there this year there is the imcf um Let's see if I can read my writing correctly. Uh, yeah, the, the Medieval Full Contact World Championships. Um, <laughs> who knew? <laughs> who would have known? If you want to know more about it, go on to Facebook, or I'm sure you can Google this as well, the Scottish Knights League. Uh, and if you want to see what it's Do all about... Do they actually about, joust? I, I don't know, but... It, the, um, 
I was told to visit Bohart on YouTube. B O H. So Bohart. B O H U R T on YouTube. And apparently it's a YouTube channel where there's loads of what these guys are doing. There was a guy on my old bomb team and he was trying to organize a stag do where it was a, a medieval themed where you went down and you did jousting for the day, <laughs> but proper jousting. And uh, then it was like a hog roast in a big barn at night. And then the next day it was like sword fighting and, and like bow and arrows and stuff like that. Uh, he got sent away, so no, it didn't. Oh, no. <laughs> that would have been a stag do like no other. It would have been quite cool, actually. Uh, we are at the Northern Shooting Show in only a couple of months now, uh, in the middle of May. Uh, and importantly, there are still a very, very small number of public tickets available to the Friday evening showing of our film festival. We are running the UK's very first hunting film festival in conjunction with the northern shooting show uh, and all the information for that is on our website pacebrothers.com uh, you can if you click uh, films you'll find it's the, f- the first link there and you'll be able to read about it not only are there tickets available which are on the shop to come and enjoy the evening which is we're going to be showcasing a whole bunch of great films we're going to be showcasing the winners of the film festival there's going to be some speeches on the, on the future of hunting just short speeches between the films uh, but if you are a budding filmmaker we are still open for entries we've got yeah. some great entries so far but we are looking for more so go and visit the website it's read not, the kind of things it's not we're too looking late for. it's definitely not too late um just make sure that when you're on the shop not just for buying the tickets that you read all of the instructions uh, in the description for postage um, and so on because we don't want you paying extra postage or if uh, you're buying products uh, please don't click the sticker-only option when you're buying. Uh, We've just changed uh, it. It's not there sticker. won't be a sticker-only option anymore. We've, c- we've fixed it. Have you fixed People it? don't have to think that hard anymore. Oh, okay. It's, it's fine. People, but people si- can't read. Since so. you mentioned the sticker, what I forgot to say about the prize for this week's podcast uh, is that we're not only giving away the Smith uh, yeah, Optic shooting We're going to have a car sticker as well. Car sticker too. I might add that if you're wondering, uh, I want to get a car sticker. They're not five quid or something. I think they come in at one pound... 40 and then the little bit of postage on top so i think in total it's two pounds uh for the car sticker which delivered that's two pound delivered um so go and grab yourself three and the delivery doesn't go up every time you order once no order three the delivery is the same and the very last thing before i mention our guest today uh well the very last thing for me unless daryl has something else Uh, is that we there is still the, the safari raffle uh, on the website, that's probably going to run for most of the year. It is an incredible opportunity for you. Uh, if you you may think that you will never have a chance to go and hunt in Africa, or then this is this is your opportunity. For ten pounds a ticket, uh, there is a safari raffle running. The reason that this has come to us is that through a very good friend of ours, uh, who is a professional hunter in South Africa, uh, he wanted to try and raise some money for the drought relief. They actually did get one day of rain the other day but basically for the last five to seven years there's barely been any rain in the eastern cape you've actually seen some of the cities have basically run out of water now it has been in the news cape town is in serious trouble Mm -hmm. so he uh wanted to raise money for that and the anti-poaching efforts most people know about the issue that they have with with poaching in south africa so he got together uh with a couple of his friends and some farmers and they basically donated their time and a few animals and the accommodation the whole safari 
is worth about £3,000. It's £10 a ticket, and we, we need to raise the £3,000 uh, in order to run the competition. We're going well. There's it's been an incredible amount of entries. Uh, yeah, we're getting entries all the time. So please go and visit. Give it a punt. What's it got to lose? You know, it's only 10 quid, and you might just win this, the hunt of a lifetime. And you're helping. So it's not, it is just 10 quid, but you're also helping anyway, regardless. Um, so we're going to hit into the show. You are going to be hearing from none other than Remy Warren, who is uh, a hunter from the States. His profile has just blown up in the, the last couple of years. He opened his own outfit at the age of 22. He's the co-host of Solo Hunter, which is an online... Uh, well, there, there are online episodes of that TV series, but it was on uh, one of the big uh, cable networks in the States. He is uh, friends and hunts with Steve Ranella, who... Uh, would guess probably all of you have heard I th- it before. I think there's a vast number of our listeners also listen to that to the Meat Eater podcast. Meat, podcast. Yeah. Uh, because also when you click on our podcasts, it says people that listen to this show also listen to this, and Meat Eater is like number yeah. one that comes up. So he's been on the Meat Eater podcast, but he's also, I actually didn't, I don't think this really really came up when we were talking, uh, but he's also on the Meat Eater show, although you're going to hear a little bit about that right at the start. Um, he, had, he, has, he has an IMDB page, I just saw today. So do we. Yeah, uh, but his is quite. Yeah, cool. no, 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 ours <laughs> is pretty pathetic. So, and uh, he's been on Joe Rogan podcast, yeah. which is one of the biggest in the world, a number of times. Uh, really great guy to speak to. We hadn't had much of a conversation with him before this podcast. So this was us getting to know him. Um, seems like a, a genuinely nice guy who just likes to hunt. Exactly. We. Uh, I've just re-listened to the show because I I edit the show, and uh, I I really enjoyed it for the second time round. Uh, some awesome stories. We 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 kick straight into uh, a bear attack. Yeah, um, that's a great for, way to for start. The first thirty minutes, and uh, then the then we learn his the backstory. So we're working a little bit backwards. We're going forward in time, then backward in time. Uh, but it really is a good a great show and like Byron said we're talking about Solo Hunter we also talk about Tweed a little bit mm-hmm. um, we're tra- trying to we're giving a bit of culture from this side over to the yeah. States um, and bow hunting rifles uh, ev- everything we talk about everything the only, the only, my only regret in this podcast is that we didn't speak for longer, but we spoke long enough. So what we're going to do is we're going to have Remy back on, and he said he would definitely come back on another show, and we'll try and talk about other, the, all the things that we didn't get to in this show. Well, we're not going to hold you up any longer. Uh, enjoy the show. Remy, thank you for taking the time out to join us on the Into the Wilderness podcast today. I'm going to start off by asking you about something which you are probably bored of speaking about because I've actually heard you tell the story a few times on various shows and interviews and podcasts. But for the benefit of our listeners who might not have heard about it, I want to start by talking about the bear attack. I mean, it doesn't happen too often in the UK. So. No, <laughs> although we, we have a lot of America, <laughs> we have a lot of American listeners, but um, that are predominantly listeners from the UK. We don't have anything that really causes us concern here in terms of wildlife. It's very different in North America. People are the only concern. Yeah. The bear attack was uh, definitely a um, a pretty, I guess, exciting experience. It's one of those things that when you do it enough, you think about it. And a lot of the places, for people who don't know, like a lot of the places that I hunt are frequented by bears. So I'm around grizzly bears, brown bears quite often. Um, I'd say probably half my hunts or more are probably near animals like that, that, um, whether it's brown bears, black bears, 
grizzly bears, mountain lions, like a lot of the places that I hunt have a lot of predators. But um, in this particular instance, I was in uh, a Fognac Island, which is off of Kodiak Island in Alaska. And uh, that area is just known for some of the largest brown bears in the world. Um, and uh, you see, you generally see a lot of them there. But on this particular trip and in this particular instance, we hadn't been seeing any. <laughs> so I think that uh, that kind of got our guard down a little bit. Um, How many people were there. you with, Remy? Were you with clients? Uh, so? So I was, no, so I was over there with um, – a friend of mine, Steve Ranella, he does that Meat Eaters TV show. Oh, of course, yeah. In America. And uh, so we were filming an episode for that uh, in a place that I've hunted elk before. Actually, I've been there quite a few times with my brother and my dad drew the tag. And, and then I've done a few deer hunts over there outside of those those elk hunts. Um, so there, there's uh, a species of elk on that island, Roosevelt elk. Um, and it's it's one of those things you got to draw the tag so it's kind of a unique opportunity to hunt elk there they just get really large and uh, so steve wanted to go with me so we applied as a party and, and drew the tag um and since i'd been there quite a few times you know i kind of figured well we'll just go to a place that i know and uh and so he was it was myself steve and then what would it be uh three four other people so i think including the camera guys yeah so there was uh Giannis, uh was there he's like the producer and then two camera guys and a guy just packing stuff for the camera guys so yeah so so six of us um and we had you know it's actually a fairly tough hunt like pretty tough country um just real thick and fairly inhospitable as far as the weather goes really wet all the time um it, there's not a lot blocking it uh it's kind of just out on this point so you get weather from every direction so if it's horrible storms come from the north it hits that area really hard if they come from the south it hits it really hard it's like every direction if a storm comes in there's not much blocking storm so it gets a lot of rain it gets a lot of wind um, gets pretty bad weather sounds like scotland <laughs> uh, yeah yeah <laughs> but, yeah it's like island weather is not not really ideal most of the time it's just you don't have a lot of land mass protecting it from no. some of those big nasty storms that come off the arctic there um, they just kind of hit it full force and that's what slows it down for the rest of the mainland a lot of the times um but we were, uh, we were, Steve had shot an elk and we took care of the elk, cut the elk up, put the elk in the tree, carried half of it out the night before, and then, uh, went back the next day to pack it out. And, you know, we came up to the tree doing pretty much everything we're supposed to, making a noise, look around. Um, there was no real sign of a bear i mean there's some sign but it looked like it might have been something older that we didn't notice the night before because we did everything in the dark the night before or essentially two nights before um and uh because it took us a day to go back and then get back or whatever and so we're there and instead of loading up our packs we just decided oh let's sit down and have lunch and that was probably what wasn't the best idea 
in hindsight. <laughs> um, I mean, how much? Are, are, I'm, that... I'm sorry. I'm just trying to picture like where you're sitting down to have lunch. How much can you see? Like, how far can you see around you in terms of the terrain and the bush? Yeah, I would say like behind us, maybe oh three meters. Oh, that okay. So it really is dense. Yeah, it's really thick. Yep, and then. Um, you know, maybe in front of us, I could probably see at the furthest, maybe 20 meters, but is like tall grass, pretty thick clumps of what we we call alders, just like real thick, low vegetation, um, you know, over your head high. And then kind of the, the kind of stuff that, to walk through, you have to use your arms to push away and really push push through so very very thick vegetation and and then just the grass itself is chest high neck high type grass so it's 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 fairly thick and then in some in some places you know you might only be able to see through it in arm's length you know it's not like that type of vegetation that you can see through it's it's very thick and dense dense stuff so your visibility is really low um and so we, we'd sat down and a lot of, the, a lot of the things that sound like went wrong or in hindsight because a bear attacked, but there were multiple instances throughout the course of a week or whatever, where there were no bear attacks. <laughs> and there's been many times that I've been there and you see the bears constantly and sometimes they'll bluff charge or do other things, but you don't, you just can't always be thinking one's going to attack even though you probably should, because, um, you know, there's, there's 99.9% of the time you don't get attacked. It's just that, that small percentage of time that you do that you look back at it and go, Oh, we could have done this different and this different, but. Well, I, I guess with, the, with the amount that you guys spend out, you know, in the outback, at some point, just the law of averages are going to catch up with you in terms of those kind of close encounters. If you never, if you never leave your armchair, then it's never going to happen to you. Yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly it. I mean, the, the probably the chances of getting attacked by a bear for the average person are, you know, it's way more dangerous to be driving your car to work. Yeah, but that's because the average person doesn't spend a significant amount of time in big bear country. Mm-hmm. You know, for the people that spend a lot of time in that it, it's going to happen it's just a matter of when um just uh, just to, just to give people an idea of the size of these bears how how big are they yeah these are i mean these are the largest bears in the world they can be up to a thousand pounds i think i think the largest one from this island um i i've actually seen it mounted uh i don't know how how tall it is like nose to tail but I know when it's standing on its hind legs, it, it, it would be at least 13 feet. Um, so, you know, it's... It's colossal. <laughs> looking into, looking, yeah, it's looking into a window of a two-story house, essentially. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very big, big animal. Um, yeah, so they could be up to 1,000 pounds. And they're just... They're very very big <laughs> it's, a, it's a size large as, as big as they come uh you know i mean polar bears are are larger in general but these are the largest of the brown bears 
essentially. So just before we, we get back to you sitting, eating your sandwiches, um, for our, our listeners who are not that familiar with North America, just explain the difference between brown bear grizzly because uh, there is a lot of confusion with regard to the difference. Yeah, so, um, the, well, there, I guess there's brown – here we have different bear species. We've got brown bears, we've got black bears, and then we've got grizzly bears. So essentially, uh, a grizzly bear is a, a, a inland brown bear is what it is. So a grizzly bear is a little bit smaller in size because they don't have access to coastal foods like the brown bears do. So you've got your brown bears on the coast. So anything on these islands, Fognac and um, some of the ABC islands around and then along the coastal regions of Alaska, the peninsula in Alaska, those are what we classify as, as brown bears. So those are bears that have access to salmon because they have that access to salmon. They just grow larger. Just uh, pr- protein all the time. Well, Lots during the runs, yeah. yeah. During, yeah, exactly. During the runs. And then they've also got access to other sea animals. I mean, I've seen brown bears feeding on dead whales, dead seals. So they just have a lot of food source. Um, generally, their temperament isn't as bad. I, I, can, I don't think their temperament's generally as bad as interior grizzly bears. Um, do you think it's just because, because of the, they do the... have access? Oh, okay. To food. Sorry. Yeah, you just you yeah, just answered but, my question. Yeah, yeah. It's they they just have a lot of food most of the time. However, because they have so much food, they get to such a large size. They're very domineering. They they don't they don't have any threats, and they really aren't um, in areas where they run into people so much. So humans are not something that scares them very often. They're the daddy uh, as far as they're concerned and where they live. Exactly. Where they live, they're at the top of the food chain and they have the size and the strength and the speed to kill anything that's around, whether it be a human or whatever. I mean, even with a gun, it's very hard to fend these bears off because they are so large and fast and live in thick terrain. And when they want to be aggressive, that's, it's a very dangerous situation. Um, so yeah, so these these are, you know, the biggest of the big bears, as far as that's concerned. And, you know, they still are, they still can be fairly aggressive. Um, like I say, the gri- grizzly bears, I feel like have just become more aggressive, at least in the places that I hunt. Um, say Montana or in some interior Alaska, partially because they have less food source and i think in the lower what we call the lower 48 like the the united states outside of alaska uh the the grizzly bears aren't hunted there and they've just become more of i guess more of like less fear of humans so they've become a lot more dangerous in recent years because their populations have increased so then there's more running with them with people, hikers, people just tramping and going on vacations and other things. So we actually see a lot more bear attacks than we used to because there's just more people in proximity to them now. And I think that they just don't have that as much of a fear as they probably once did. And just higher populations and more people, just more run-ins. But uh, yeah, so we're under a tree eating sandwiches thinking okay well 
eat these, pack up the meat, and then be off. And then uh, we're sitting in would be like a kind of like a semicircle. Um, there's actually three of us, yeah, three of us sitting on this little embankment just off the tree, like where a root grew and then the ground sloughed off. So it kind of makes it like a little natural bench. There's three of us sitting there. Steve would be laying across from the three of us. And then there's two guys back behind the three of us sitting. And we we decided it was, it was a fairly cold day, so we were going to make a little bit. We brought a jet boil with us, make up some coffee. So I, I, I went around. I, I took my pack off. I had my pistol and my bear spray on my pack belt. And I'd been transferring my pistols from the pack to my waist. And, you know, I took took my pack off and I thought, oh, I'll just sit here because I've been sitting on my pack with the pistol like right there, easy to access. But uh, I went to go grab water for everyone to fill the pot for the coffee. While I was doing that, someone kind of sat where my pack was. So I just said, okay, now I'll sit on this little embankment. And now I'm kind of facing, my body's facing downhill so I can see sort of the valley, what little view we have there right now so we're up kind of up on a hill and uh yes one of the guys behind us were kind of sitting there you know just doing as you do not really just kind of in the moment thinking about our sandwiches more than anything and one of the guys behind us hears something and then i look up and that bear is just running straight for us and and that's within you know 20 meters or so and that happened to be in that area that i could see probably the most um, just see this bear eyes locked in running straight into the group. And it was so fast. My initial reaction was to, to grab my pistol, which is only, you know, two arms length away, maybe a little bit further. So I, I go forward to grab my pistol out of my pack. But at that point, the bear is already pretty much on top of us. I do like a, we call like a football juke move, go left and right, kind of simultaneously spin around thinking, okay. And just thinking to myself, this is it. This bear's got me. It was very close. And then I, I jumped up onto the embankment where I was. My friend Giannis was to our right. And then Steve was laying right where the bear ran over. So I don't know how he got away or what happened because his back was to it the whole time. So whether he rolled over or the bear just ran over the top, I mean, I don't know. Does he know what happened? (laughs) I don't even think he knows. I mean, he just remembers teeth and fur, (laughs) breath, everything just right there. And so because it was six of us all together, we just essentially scattered. Um, you know, and then obviously, like, it just happened so fast. A lot of it, we didn't, we had to piece together afterwards. And I pulled out some photos and trying to figure out exactly what happened where everyone was sitting, just to kind of, kind of figure out, okay, how did this even it happen? But the bear ran in, then I did the juke thing, and I turned around, went, you know, up on the hill, and then turned around, and see the bear like going the other direction. Then I look over on the other side of the tree and see the bear going away with someone. I just saw legs and a bear and I thought, Oh God, he's got someone. So I grabbed my pistol. I ran down. I think by this point, you know, we tried trying to group back up uh, cause we kind of scattered yelling like who's missing. And, uh, Garrett, one of the other guys pops up from the bushes. His eyes are just 
like super wide just and he goes i i was on the bear's back he's back to back <laughs> we, like, we'll figure that we're all thinking like what because like i definitely saw a bear and a person going down the hill wow uh, but I, I I figured it was he was in his mouth. I never thought he was back to back with it. He doesn't even know how it happened. He doesn't know if he tripped and fell or like is the bear wheeled. I think it was almost one of those things where he was running away. The bear wheeled around at the same time. Somehow it wasn't very long. He was like he said it was about like two Mississippi, you know, two full three full seconds of going down the hill, which is a pretty good distance as fast as that bear's going. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so he, he popped up and then at that point the bear ran off into the brush. We'd circled up and now had two pistols ready, but the wind was so strong that we really couldn't use the bear spray, um, unless he came in cause he came in on the charge with the wind. So using the bear spray would have been fairly pointless. Uh, we would have just pretty much pepper sprayed or seasoned ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, seasoned it for the incoming bear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Little pepper steak for him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we'd circled up around the tree, and then it, it was fairly hair raising after that fact because the bear, you could hear him charge in again, but not see him, and then it would stop, and then he'd charge in from another direction, and he never busted back out that second time. But had he busted out that second time, he was he was in that thicker side, so it would have been a, a meter by the time you could actually see him, and it was it was very close quarters on that side that he was charging in again. Uh, it would have been it, it was fairly scary, especially only having two guns. We tried to kept moving to get the pistols in position for that bear when he came in, and not knowing which direction he's coming in at. Uh, then he, then we kept, we continued to yell and make noise and try to scare him off. And then we grabbed the meat out of the tree and made haste to an area that was clear where we could actually see. Wow. Um, Your that, adrenaline must have been, well, all of you guys' adrenaline must have just been through the roof. Oh, yeah. And it happened so fast. It, it was just a very fast, fast deal. But that, that bear, a lot of times bears will do a bluff charge or a warning charge. But there's a, there's a difference in that bear's demeanor and what he was going in. He was going in there to kill something. And I think what happened was he got real confused when we scattered and didn't know who to kill. He just wanted to kill everyone. And so he kind of was that, that look of confusion. Almost, if you imagine like a, a bear being chased by dogs where he's not just going after one dog. He's going after all the dogs. And by going after all the dogs, can't catch one. Um, so that pack thing where he's kind of going after everything or a lion running into a herd of gazelle and the gazelle scatter and the lion doesn't know which one to grab. Uh, it was something similar to that. And, and afterwards, uh, I, I'm, <laughs> one of the parts I had, when we were talking like immediately after I was like, Oh, Garrett's going, yeah, I was on the back of the bear. I go, yeah, he juked the bear. And then he turned around. Well, I didn't realize as I moved and then turned my back to him, Giannis was right behind me. And he had actually hit the bear in the face with his trekking poles. Oh, right. So, and and that's what turned the bear. I had no clue. Any like your spatial awareness is very off in this moment. You have no clue where everyone's going, what's going on. Um, I just knew where the bear was and where I was. <laughs> Self-preservation <laughs> kicks in to an extent there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and everything happens so fast. And 
you know, I mean, all this, like it, it, the amount it takes to explain is a hundred times longer than the amount of time it, it happens yeah. in I mean, w- the w- amount of going for the gun, juking the bear, him hitting the bear happened all within a, a second and a half, you know, as fast as you could move. And the whole thing with the bear then coming back, you could hear it. What are you talking like two minutes or? Um, yep. Two to three, three, four minutes, something like that. Not really sure at that point. Um, yeah, it could could have been a little longer, could have been shorter. And I know the concept of time in that situation, you just, it, it felt like a long time, you know, probably wasn't, um, in, in the amount of time it coming back in, but we did give it ample amount of time to make sure that he wasn't you know, give it a little bit of time to make sure he's not just going to charge in as soon as we start cutting meat out of the tree or whatever. And do you, was he? Do you think he was coming in because he'd smelt the meat and thought, "Right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, whatever's there, I'm gonna kill it so that I can have what I can smell." Um, I don't know. It, I don't know if that was because he came in with the wind, and it was a pretty good, pretty good, like pretty strong wind. It would have been something that. If you were stalking in on that bear, he would have never smelt you in that wind. So that was kind of the confusing part is whether he heard us and just thought something was there, whether he'd heard something, snuck up and seen us, um, not really sure. Or whether he knew that meat was there and then heard something there and thought, oh, something's got my meat. I'm going to go in and kill it. Don't know. So if, uh, how at that point, how much longer were you were you there before you actually left was it a day or two? I mean, you must have been, everyone must have been seriously on edge until you were sort of almost back at home at that point. Yeah, it was fairly funny because it, before that happened, everyone thought, oh, no, there's no bears here. Nothing's going to happen with bears. Then after that, everybody had the impression we were going to get attacked again immediately. Like every, we then saw another bear and thought, oh, but this bear is going to try to get us. And around every corner, we were just paranoid that a bear was out to get us that's understandable (laughs) i think yeah and and so we were there um because when we walked back a a pretty good storm had come in um i mean like 100 mile an hour wind type storm the type of wind that blows you over when you're standing up and it had destroyed our camp so then we got back to camp it was just on dark all of our gear was strewn out across the oh that's depressing across the valley we had our tents were ripped in half rain is cold it's pretty gnarly um pretty bad so we ended up busting down the two main tp tents one of them was salvageable we, we repitched that on the downside of like the back side of this thick spruce tree like a you know thick pine um <clears throat> pitched it on the back side of the spruce uh a couple of my myself and steve had just like one man collapsible backpacking tents that were blown down but still intact and still usable Uh, they weren't destroyed so that was good so we pitched those and then uh, a couple of the guys were able to get a fire going and then restring a bear fence which is like a a little electric fence you keep around your camp to it's it's more i don't know if it's like a mental barrier i was gonna say i wonder if it would have stopped your bear (laughs) I, yeah, I don't know. I doubt. No, in those kind of instances, I doubt it. No. But you never know. Um, I did hear one night I was sleeping in the like. Well, I wasn't sleeping in there. I was waiting for uh, 
some stuff to dry out. I was laying up against some gear in like the in our base camp, and I did hear a bear walking behind me and tap the fence. Hmm. So it did deter it in the dark. I don't know if it's, they just don't like that shock or what, but I definitely did hear a bear, and it didn't go and destroy anything in camp or get any closer. So I'm assuming it worked, or it could have just been on a path and whatever. He wasn't going that way anyways. I don't know. But uh, I do think that they do. I, I think that they work because as, as many times as I've used them, I've never had a camp destroyed while I've had the bear fence up. There's even been times that the bear fence isn't on, but just that, I don't know, maybe that little bit of wire, they just... They don't like it. An unnatural barrier. Yeah, them. exactly. They think, huh, well, this, in this wide open area, <laughs> and there's this thing that keeps hitting me. Yeah. I'm just going to walk away. What kind, of, um, what kind of teepees do you use? Is it the, the thick canvas ones, or do you use a more modern material that's a bit lighter? Yeah, the lighter ones. I think they're... Um, I think I can't remember which ones those ones were. It might have been a Seek Outside one or a Kafar. It's like parachute yeah. type material. Um, and then they aren't they're single walled, but you've got little uh, I don't know, like interior what kind of looks like a sheet thing that clips on the inside to keep the condensation. So okay, yeah. you kind of make it a double wall thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, down low. Is that that's also got like the mosquito net in it as well? Does it? Uh, no mosquito net. No. You you, no, already, just, you, you you just take it like a man and just <laughs> endure the mosquitoes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's there's no floor or anything on them. It's just a, a tarp. But that time of year, it's cold enough. Like there's no mosquitoes. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a little bit later in the season, um, so you don't really have to. You don't really get hit that hard. Sometimes on the on the warmer days when the sun would come out, you get a few black flies, but not too bad to what it can be like in the summertime up there. I've seen footage of your mosquitoes, and uh, it looks quite horrendous. We we have something here called a midgy, which is like it's like a micro mosquito but on steroids. So you don't end up right. with the same sort of puncture wounds, but it's just horrendous, and there's a lot more of them. Yeah, like you're talking clouds of of hundreds, hundreds of, of millions <laughs> attack you at once. Yeah, so that's what we we call those either black flies or noceums. Uh, there's a couple different kinds or white socks. Like there's three different kinds of those. Those those actually are worse than the mosquitoes. Yeah. I think they don't leave as big of a bite, but they. They just get in everything and they itch a lot longer. Yeah, it's yeah. just an it's just an similar, itchy bite. That's very all it similar is. to us. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So they've got they've got they've kind of have it all up there. There's just so much water in the summertime, and you've got 24 hours of daylight, and it's just prime yeah. bug breeding area. <laughs> mosquitoes, mosquitoes are humping all day in the, <laughs> in the, the water. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they just breed and eat, breed and eat. That's it. So you obviously you guys eventually got out of there. Yes, yeah, I, I can't. I, honestly, um, I think it was a, a day a day later or the next day. I'm, I can't remember when the when it calmed down. Um, might have been a full day. It might have been the evening of the following day. I I'm not. I can't remember to be honest. But uh, yeah, we got out after that. With with a with a story to tell that will be with you for the rest of your lives, all of you. Yeah, exactly. It was one of those. You go, man. That was it. Was it was crazy that nobody got 
injured. Yeah, I was expecting a claw scrape or something. Something, yeah. And, and, and we're pretty lucky that it wasn't because the weather was so bad. It would have been really hard to to get anybody out mm. had they been maimed or mauled. It would have been a really bad situation where even if it wasn't that bad of a mauling, would have been bad enough to do serious permanent damage, yeah. if not worse, because there was just no no option of getting out of there or getting out quickly. So I, th- I think, yeah. I think it was, you were telling the story on Joe Rogan's podcast. I think that was where, where I heard this and he, he was saying that he had always had this kind of macho idea that if he, you know, a bear attack would kind of be cool because maybe he would get like a scrape across his chest and it would be like the war wound of that bear attack that didn't quite happen. But after listening to your story, he was like, no, no, I, I don't want to even have a sniff of that experience. Yeah, that's at first I always thought, oh, it'd be cool. You, you think about it. You're, you're around him all the time. You think you play these scenarios out in your head a million times. It's nothing like the scenarios you play out. It just doesn't happen like that. It's a lot. It's a lot faster. It's a lot more helpless. It's a lot. All the things you think you would do, it just goes out the window. There's, I mean, there's when it actually comes down on you. There's really not much you can do except you. You really just do whatever you can in those instances. And you know, I think not having any kind of deterrent, like it would have been, I would have felt a lot more comfortable if I had my pistol on me because at least where I was sitting in the way that bear ran in, I would have been able to stop it or at least try to deter it with a pistol. Now everything worked out fine. So in hindsight, you know, you wouldn't want to do anything different because it worked out. Who knows? I could have shot at the bear and that pissed it off even more and it killed someone. We don't know. You you all survived. No, it worked out how it worked. We all survived. But it wasn't the ideal way to survive, no. I'll tell you that much. I wouldn't suggest it because I know for a fact I've been there alone many times. And if I had been alone in that particular instance or any one of us had been alone or maybe just one or two people, I think it would have been a completely different outcome. And and that would have been, you know, pretty Think, Things of nightmares. Now, if we rewind right back from – We normally <laughs> ask this at the beginning, actually. <laughs> but we, we, I wanted to get this out of the way because it, I, I know that our listeners will find it intriguing and I wanted to hear the story firsthand as well. Uh, but let's go back to younger years and sort of your potted history to where you are today. You're, I think you're 33. You're quite a young man, aren't you? Yeah. 33. 33. But you seem to have done a whole shed ton. Um, from your 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 guiding and TV and all that, so I, I want to understand how that's happened and how you've packed in so much so quickly. Yeah, I think um, pretty much when I turned eighteen, I just had decided it's something that I wanted to do. I wanted to be a hunting guide. I wanted to be out, and I'd originally thought oh, I'm just going to take off some time, go hunting, and figure it out, and maybe write a book. I've never written a book, but done a lot of hunting in between <laughs> probably should sit down one day and write some of the stories down but um yeah i uh i guess i my thing was i just knew that i i wanted to be hunting as much as i could and i just packed up my truck and said i'll just figure it out so i loaded up my truck and headed to montana figuring that would be the good spot to uh get a guy job because the way the tags are there, it's easier. And I knew the area really well. I actually come from an area about 12 hour drive away from there. So loaded up and headed out. It's just started kind of living in a tent and hunting. 
as much as I could living pretty cheap and learning areas. And then over that, by doing that, I ran into people, one of them being an outfitter. It was like, man, you're pretty good here. You know what you're doing. What you want a job? Yep. That's exactly what I was looking for. Uh, so I took a job and then uh, went back every fall. So I, I did my college and schooling in the spring and summer semesters and then took six months off to hunt guide and awesome um, in the hunting area. And, and yeah, just by being out there so much and, and you get to experience a lot of crazy things. I mean, when you're talking six months out a year in the field and then I kind of after college expanded that to, to go overseas and chase fall or hunting season, wherever I could find it, whether it be South Africa or New Zealand or Australia or whatever, anywhere there is a season I'd kind of gravitate toward and try to figure things out there, whether guiding or just hunting on my own and fairly, uh, yeah, just trying to figure it out. So you knew what you'd love doing and you just thought, hell, I'm going to make it happen. And you just started doing it. I love that. Yeah, exactly. That's what my dad gave me the best piece of advice. He he said, if you want something, just start doing it. You'll figure it out. Like if you want it bad enough, you figure it out. And his advice, because I was thinking like, oh, you know, I have like that. Everybody does that. Well, I'd really love to just hunt for a living, whether it be a guide or do whatever. I kind of had a plan of what I wanted to do. And I was like, yeah, but what's my backup plan going to be? My dad's like, if you have a backup plan, you're just going to go with the easy one. (laughs) Everybody, everybody wants to do that. Or there's a lot of people that want to do something and, and then they have a backup plan for when it doesn't go right. Well, if you have a backup plan, then you've already planned to fail. Hmm. So you give yourself no other option. Yeah. If you give yourself no other option, then you're going to do it. And that's what I did. I just gave myself no other option. I said, this is what I'm going to do. And just went out and did it, I guess. You just start doing it. People will figure, you'll figure it out. You really will. Um, it's so a weird, it's like the chicken and the egg, which came first. I yeah. don't know. You just got to start. Yeah, you got you you to be doing it. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to be doing exactly. it for opportunity to, to come knocking. I was I was just I was just going to say that uh, you know particularly with our work as well and and the line of work you're in often when we we speak to people they go oh that's amazing you, you're so lucky you you get to work and see all these places around the globe and you get paid to do it uh, well it's not really luck because you've had to work really hard to to do those those things and I think people only see the the see the nice the stuff. nice stuff. But haven't realized the, yeah. the years of work that's gone in before. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 all a lot of hard work, and I, I'm sure there's other ways. People, there's a, probably a million different ways. There's no job fair where someone's like, "I'm going to give you a job in the hunting world, and you're going to." And I'm looking to hire right now. It's not that kind of thing. No, you need no. To that interview doesn't exist. Put in the hard work. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, just as much as you wish it could. There's no, and who knows? Maybe there's some people that do it uh, without working hard but that's just not the way that i ever i ever learned how to do things it was just you get things by working hard when i guided i would i mean i would i would work i my goal was to be the best guide in the area that i could guide in so i would work tirelessly i'd be up before anyone else i would scout on my days off i would take hunters out they say they shot an elk on monday and they had five days to hunt we shot it in the evening. I would pack that elk out alone through the night while the hunters slept, show back up at camp at 5 a.m. and hunt the whole next day. 
ready to go and maybe get another elk or whatever. Hardcore. Just, just, just 100% into it. And because of it, you know, in an area that had fairly low success, my hunters were shooting two, an elk and a deer a piece. So it's, it's two guys per week of six or seven days. So I'd shoot, I'd pack out two elk and two deer a week for 10 uh we got as far as you were t- you're talking about how much packing out you were doing in a week oh wow okay yeah i just kept going you know jeez <laughs> <laughs> how much conversation did you have after though it dis- oh, disappeared had, offline we had, a, we had a really good conversation <laughs> nobody else was a part of it it's the joys of speaking to you from scotland to to the united states <laughs> yeah that's that's the tough part it's like yeah it's a lot easier to have a conversation <clears throat> when there's people in the room yeah, yeah. it is um <laughs> but despite that this is actually a very very clear line apart from it cutting off there so if you wouldn't mind recapping because we couldn't hear you and our listeners certainly couldn't hear what you were telling us about um you know the amount that you were packing out during the week and actually when you're telling us that one of my questions was going to be for that is the kind of weights you were packing out and the number of trips it would take, and also the kind of kit that you're actually using it to pack out. It's not something done here a lot because we don't really have the need for it, although we do it a little bit, but our animals are a lot smaller than yours. Yeah, so um, I was saying, you know, I, I would put in the time to essentially give these guys the best hunt possible. And, and in the end, I ended up packing about two elk and two deer a week for about 10 weeks. Uh, that would be the Montana season. Then I'd hunt other seasons, other places, but, uh, it's, it's one of those. So like for us, uh, generally an elk, I'd say a deer is depending on how, sometimes I don't know what, how you guys feel dress or if you take them out whole or what normally we do. Um, we quarter them out. So we skin it, we don't gut it. We do like a gutless method. So we skin it up the back take the skin off one side, um, peel the meat off front quarter, back quarter, back strap, neck meat, all that. And then depending how far we are, how much time we have, we might take the bones out of the back, the quarters. Sometimes we won't. Most of the time it's one of those things where you go, okay, I'm a mile from the truck. I'm 4k from the truck, whatever. Um, I'll just leave the bones in. It's easier to handle and manage and hang and cool. So sometimes it's just easier to leave. I carry a little bit more weight, Yeah. save a little bit of time, just get going as opposed to deboning them. Um, I would say, well, when I was younger, I, I would just try to carry as much as I could. Sometimes I'd do an elk in two trips, which would be about – 160 pound pack wow um so what's that i don't even know in kilos like oh it's like uh 80 kilos, 70 yeah kilos. 75 kilos something like that. 70 kilos it's, it's a yeah, serious weight like let's put it that way that's <laughs> some serious yeah that kind of done that, your that, legs that weighs that weighs good. as much as barn <laughs> yeah, yeah so most of the time it'd be your body weight whatever yeah. you weigh you put that in a pack and go um hundred but i i wouldn't i would only do that every once in a while if it's like down most most of my packs i would say my average pack was right around 100 pounds or 55 50 something kilos something yeah. like that um I keep it around that weight would be standard um 
so if you if you think about it you probably do for an elk multiple trips at the right at the 100 pound mark 100 to 120 anything over that is ridiculous but i've done it just that's right i i shouldn't have there's there's just times where i've carried that much um now I'm only 33, but like yesterday I couldn't move because I had a rib come out on the old vertebra, vertebrae and had to get it put back in place. Ooh, and that's that- just from I, I from packing out when I was – I think I was 19. It was, it was a really steep, snowy mountain. I had a whole deer in my pack, which is about 120 pounds, 115 pounds. Um, had the whole deer in my pack and slipped and went forward down the hill. And as I went forward, I tried to – like catch myself but with that heavy pack i turned too fast and that weight kind of threw me around and then when i hit the ground it popped three ribs off my Ooh. vertebrae and That's so in that same, yeah about every about every couple of years i would say they just they slip off again one or, one or two of them um you know you just and like all my all my joints crack and creak and hurt I think the gosh, I think stupid. there's a I think there's a moral here yeah. to this story. Yeah, there is a moral. When you know, I would do it, and when you're 19 and you're carrying a lot of weight, and it doesn't hurt at all, and you're just used to it, people are like, "Oh, you're gonna feel that when you're 30." And you go, you look at them like, "No, I'm invincible. You don't understand." Uh, and then you realize that they they probably knew what they're talking about, but that's all right. Uh, it's fine. But now you've got wisdom. Now you've got a a little bit more age and wisdom to help you in 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 the packing out, and so that you can la- your body can last longer. Yeah, exactly. Like I won't. I try not to take as much weight anymore. Sometimes I just am stupid um, and have to. But I try to not have to. I've got I've got some horses I use as well. Um, that's nice. But but a lot of times I would say even if you have the horses, by the time you go and get the horses and saddle them up and load them up and drive you you would have just had the thing done so yeah. you just carry it out and just make a couple of trips and you always take some of it anyways you're walking out anyways you might as well make a trip so it just depends but i, I would say like in average we're talking probably 100 pound packs multiple times a week um would be be standard you know, once or twice a season, you'd have that 170 pound pack just for, I don't even know why, just to prove to yourself. Prove I you're still know. tough. I mean, yeah. Like, no, I try not to, I, I don't think I'll do that anymore. Do you do <laughs> so, um, any training when you're not hunting or are you just out that much that you, you don't really need to? Yeah, I don't really. Um, in Here we, uh, like in the States, if it's like no seasons going on, I'm not hunting. I, I go hiking, try to go hiking every day. Um, and we look for like cast antlers or shed antlers, we call them. That's uh, a big thing in the States, the shed hunting. Thing. Yeah, it's a weird thing too. It's not, it's not, there's people that are, that's their life. I, I enjoy it, but I can just walk out from my house and go. And, and I just actually enjoy watching, like watching the deer in the off season. I'll just hike up spend some time glassing them with the spotting scope while they still have their antlers on. And then there comes a point where they no longer have antlers and you're like, well, what do I do? I might as well go look for their antlers. You've been watching some of these deer 
for the season. You go try to pick up their antlers, match them up. It's like an adult Easter egg hunt. Yeah, it's, <laughs> so, it's become a sport in its own right. Uh, almost. Obviously not for yourself, but uh, you're saying people do it full time. Is it worth quite a bit of money in the States? The, obviously, they've got a value here, but I don't think anyone that does it for a full time job here. <laughs> no. Yeah, I think it's there. there are people that have... I think a lot of people that might have other seasonal jobs do it kind of full time, full time in the spring as just extra cash. Like I have a good friend who he does some guiding and he does some firefighting and he picks up a lot of sheds, you know, so he's got three seasons of work where he's not actually having to answer to someone can do what he wants. And then all, all his shed money just goes to into a pool that he uses for hunting. So it's just his like, it's like side income yeah. that he that's a nice way to pay for it. Yeah. It so is. the the animals are yeah, kind of exactly. paying for his ability to go and hunt. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's come to a point though where it it gets pretty competitive in certain areas, and now they're creating regulations where they're going to have a season on it because the deer, the animals are getting so pressured. I mean, when I first started looking for sheds, it's just it's just for exercise and it's fun to go out and just something to do. Now people take it pretty seriously, so. It's, it yeah. is what it is you, you heard it first if it happens in the states it'll happen in the UK you never know <laughs> I, I was actually listening to someone yeah. talking about it the other day and I can't remember who it was and they were they were saying exactly that which was that the just the human traffic in some of these these areas now has become so much that it's really beginning to affect the movements of the wildlife and their ability to just do what they should be doing which is eating and then breeding yeah it's especially in a key time of year in the winter in the spring that depends on they're on the winter range most of the places you find these these casts so they you really need to give them their space but when it becomes a a thing for profit and it's how you make money you're gonna do what you can to pick up they call it brown gold (laughs) just they go crazy for it um what does it fetch like what's the value of it um Let's see, like an elk antler might be – a lot of it is like on a grading system, so it just depends. White antlers are half the price of brown fresh ones. So fresh ones I think go for $11 a pound, something like that. Okay. Um, so a, a, a typical elk antler might give you 100 bucks. Because we, we're about um, 10 pounds a kilo, so it's there or thereabouts. Yeah. So, yeah, so you might get $100 for a big elk antler, maybe 30 to to $100. But if you go and pick up 10 of those in a day, you're doing pretty good. Yeah. Huh. You know, anywhere in there. Um, and then sometimes, now if you find like a really large set that you could sell as a set, some people might sell a set of a, a mature animal for thousands of dollars. But who's, who's buying them? Is it for people just no to put on their wall right. or? I don't really um, get that. So the the main the main market uh, is for dog chews. Okay. Yeah. So they'll in, in the states like people their dogs they treat very well like they have birthday parties for them and crazy <laughs> dress stuff them up like that. sweater vests and hats <laughs> yeah and the whole the whole deal but I would say like a a hand length piece of antler you know, is might like in a, in a pet store or a dog 
for a dog chew might be 30 us dollars i can believe yeah it. i've seen similar that, here yeah. actually yeah i can believe that it's crazy <laughs> it's literally crazy so the markup on it's ridiculous and then the price keeps going up and it's very popular it's like it's one of those so it goes for that um and then some of them go for like chandelier antler making yeah oh, that is um, beautiful stuff like that yeah um so a lot of that goes to that stuff um and even like carved antlers some some of it like moose paddles will go for carved antlers and things like that and then uh like matched sets go to taxidermists that mount them and sell them as a finished product most of the time how did uh this is completely kind of changing subject from sheds but it's going back to uh you guiding how did you go from guiding a, a lot of clients and hunting to the filming side of it and when you when you explain this I, one thing i've always been slightly confused about although we don't have it here but i've watched some episodes is the solo hunter series because it's not just you there's a couple of people involved in it isn't there uh, there's myself and then Tim Burnett. It's and just one the other two. Guy. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Correct. Yeah. And, and generally like mo the episodes are us going out on our own, not with each other. Yeah. So each episode would be the other, the other person. There are like a few episodes where it, it wasn't even actually filmed for solo hunters. It might be like one, I think there's one episode where my dad's with me or something, okay. but I was just filming that for fun. Um, and then he, we just turned it into an episode. So how'd that all come uh, about? Yeah, I think a lot of that was in my discussion I had with myself after the phone cut out. But <laughs> was it? Um, <laughs> no, the, the I, I just back to the fun, what you want to do and doing it. I always was into filming. Ever since I was a, a kid, I would carry a video camera around and film our hunts. I remember we had these videos that would come out, a magazine called Eastman's Hunting, and they would produce these DVDs. I mean, I, w I was so excited to get these DVDs in the mail and, and watch these DVDs. And I just remember, okay, that, that was something that I was really into. Even as a, as a young kid, I would film everything I could. I, I was always into cameras and filming and hunting simultaneously. So it's just something that I always did was filming. Um, my dream would have been to do some kind of hunting television or filming of some kind. And so I just thought, well, I'm just going to start filming everything I do. And, uh, and I, like, I've always just been that type that thinks, you know, I want to get a resume under my belt as he, as when I was younger. So I would, I worked, I ran into a guy that had a magazine I started uh, working for this magazine for about 40 hours a week for no pay just to build That's a up lot a of time. That's a lot of time. So in my off season, I would go to school and I would do this magazine. I'd put it together. I'd do all the graphic design. I'd do all the editing. I'd write stories. I mean, I was essentially in charge of a magazine. I was 22 years old and was given the helm of a magazine because I was willing to put in more work than guys that were getting paid full time. <laughs> like just take over. Yeah. But who's going to give a 22-year-old that opportunity? So for me, a lot of things in my life have been about – I was never the type of person that did anything for – it wasn't 
it was more for experience. So if I did something, it was what's the experience I get out of it? I, I didn't do any of this for notoriety or money or anything like that. I just wanted to do what I love. Now, whether that meant going out on my own and, and doing it or whatever, I, I just love to go out and be hunting and do what I like. So the payment for me and a lot of things that I did early on was the experience and the resume that I got to build up experience that nobody else had, especially at my age. So that's why when people say, Oh, you're really young and you've done so much, it's because I was willing to get my hands dirty and do a lot of things for nothing Yeah, and just build that resume up. I wanted to be 25 years old and have had experiences that no one my age had because they weren't willing to sacrifice what it might've taken to get there. And Um, there is a big, there is a sacrifice for that. Oh, there is. I mean, I had to give up a lot of things and a lot of comforts, a lot of when friends are going out and doing things, I wasn't. I was working or doing whatever. Or, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where you, you have to make sacrifices and work hard and, you know, be you, you have to have some kind of intrinsic motivation. Otherwise, you aren't going to do it because a lot of people are motivated by the paychecks that they get or the accolades that they get or whatever. It's not enough was when you're doing this kind of by, thing, is it? No, it's you have to be motivated by yourself and just it's something that you love to do and you have to just do it because you want to. And 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 I proved that in the magazine by just writing and everything kind of taking over. Um, and and for that magazine, I started thinking, well, I'm going to start doing videos. And so I started filming everything. And then unfortunately, like in the U S we had a little bit of an economic downturn and a lot of magazines went under then. Yeah. uh, Same here. That was one of the magazines. Yeah. That was one of the magazines that happened to go out of business, but it, it was no sweat off my back because I mean, I was just in it to, to gain that experience really. And to be able to, in the future, say, look, look what I've done already. Yeah. Um, build up a resume of like, I can do this. Um, and so while I was doing that, I was filming constantly. <clears throat> and then I saw something for solo hunter. It was Tim had happened to have like a TV time slot needed content. And I just called him up and it was just a coincidence that he ended up living. Like the U S is a pretty big place and he happens to live within five miles of me. <laughs> so, no way. It was hey, like, a yeah, match it was made in heaven. Random. Yeah, exactly. And, and he was looking for content. Nice. I, I was like, Hey, I've got, um, a hundred filmed hunts. He's like, really? Wow. I was like, yeah. And some, some like unbelievable stuff that had no, you got to realize too, at the time, I mean, it had no purpose. It was just me doing what I wanted to do. Like if I wanted, I, I was filming a hunting TV show without having a hunting TV show. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. like, that's just, that's it's like, if I wanted something, I just did it. And then, and by doing it, and not having a reason to do it other than that's what I, where I wanted to be in the future. It opened that door for me. It's, it was like, okay, I already put in the work for it. I had already filmed. Now it didn't fit the solo hunter show, but we needed content and we had this idea, but we just had to work up to it. Um, or he had this idea. And, and so for the first couple seasons, it was just a lot of stuff that I'd filmed for my TV show that didn't exist or just, you know, and had no plans of being a TV show other than, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. So I just started doing it. And, uh, and then we kind of grew from there and, and it became the solo hunter TV show. And 
done you know people have enjoyed it yeah it's a big following yeah the concept of it is we go out and we film ourselves hunting and it's very challenging and it sucks a lot of the time um we do a lot of spot and stock hard hunts with a bow and then try to self-film it i mean i think there's no harder challenge in hunting especially if you're looking for a mature animal and a lot of the places we go are pretty remote um but i think people like it because and it's the type of show that I would watch if I was to watch a show. Um, because so I kind of wanted to make it yeah. feels kind of achievable as your average person, I suppose. Right. I think I it's achievable, and and I think that there's that sense of like these guys are actually out there. They have to have some sort of skill to do this. Because as a guide, I'd guided many hunting, you know, quote unquote, hunting TV shows, and they were just bullshit. It was it just <laughs> really. Not- because here I worked my ass off to hunt hard and be good at it. And then the guys that I'd watched on TV, like had no clue what they were doing. So it just was to me, it was like, okay, I, I never want to be that person. And, and you know, with different strokes for different blokes, but, um, I can imagine, I can imagine that actually. So you're basically like, provi- providing the skill off camera, not even related to the show, but they'd hired you to do it, to do the hunting. I can yeah, I can imagine yeah. how some of these things are spun. I mean, I guess some of it's just driven by by ego. A lot of it was, yeah. And I'd, you know, I was I'd guided a guy on a trip, and and then it was this thing where he would ask me a question, and they'd be filming, and 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 I would say like exactly what the elk are going to do, and like, you know, I mean, this was from years of experience of knowing what these elk do and like hunting hard and putting in time and i would give him that knowledge and then he would do something to mess it up and then he would they would restart filming with him telling me what i just told him i'm like (laughs) and that's how those shows go and it's like you're making the expert look like you're teaching him like it, it just it it just irritated me that if this is what that is i don't i want zero part of that i don't ever want to be a part of anything like that there's always so, the grim side to, to or the reality to every industry especially when it comes to filming which we spend most of our time doing or well spend most of our time filming or being part of uh, hunts um so yeah we know exactly kind of what you're you're talking about yeah, and so I think that that was part of the the thing of solo hunting was what I enjoyed is I can go out there and I can take the camera and I can do something that's extremely hard to do. Kill, a say, a mule deer, spot and stock with a bow, but I'm going to even add the element of filming myself to it. Like not very – it's very difficult. So for me, that's like – that's my way of saying I can actually do this. That's all it is, and that's why I enjoy it because it's taking on that added challenge. And there's a lot of people that can do that. And I think that those people are the the type of people that I relate to. And those people are the type of people that relate to the show because they go, yeah, it is about getting out there and being able to do it yourself. And, and, and there's nothing, I mean, I'm a hunting guide. I go on trips with friends that are guides and there's, there's that world. And I love that world. And I, there's nothing wrong with that at all but for the show that i wanted to portray i enjoy the fact of going out and and showing people i can do this and it's kind of part of like how i view the world is you can do it too if you if you try hard enough Hmm. the thing about the the filming is you you kind of have to hunt twice you got to hunt and then hunt for the camera 
Exactly. Well, the thing I – like when I do other shows that might be filmed or whatever episodes, we've done some stuff for Under Armour and The Meat Eaters and we've done quite a few different television shows in the U.S. and Canada and other places. but Or not in Canada, but shows that are in, aired in Canada. Um, but one of the things that you have to realize is life is not – a easy packed up story in 22 minutes. It makes no sense. <laughs> Very, because you're talking about taking large spans of time into a, something that makes sense in a short amount of time. So when you're filming, like things have to make sense and have an order and a beginning, a middle, and an end, and tell a story. Otherwise, it's not watchable. It's random. It's it doesn't make any sense. So yeah, you have to film things essentially twice because you have to film a story of what's going on and condense what's going on into a short amount of time. And that's actually fairly difficult to do. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> we, we Tell agree. us about it. Yeah, we agree. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but that's the There's thing not- is a lot of people who maybe they, they watch the stuff and they hunt themselves, but they've never been had any part in filming for hunting or any kind of filming don't realize how much work goes on in the background, not just out in the field, but then back editing as well there's a colossal amount of work to actually create a relatively few minutes uh, i think uh, i was i was going to say earlier on well i'll say it so it doesn't go out of my head the thing with solar hunter i think a good testament uh to it is if people like it in the uk which they do uh then it's a good show coming from the u.s because there is a number of shows from the u.s that is just not palatable to it doesn't the, relate does it doesn't relate and they in the uk they just don't like it that's good to hear. That's what I like to hear because it's nice that you can relate to – that's the thing that um, I think is really neat about hunters and hunting culture, especially the more that I travel in places that I go. I could go to New Zealand or South Africa or probably the UK or wherever, and if you're a true hunter and you love hunting, we can relate on that level of <laughs> this is – we have that bond of – we're hunters. We see things in the same light or in the same vein, and we come from completely different cultures. And that to me is pretty cool to be able to go anywhere and have that connection with someone um, that also enjoys the same thing. It's a it's a cool a cool thing. So when somebody enjoys, say, solo hunter, then it's like I understand that wherever they are, they they have that same connection. They can do that same thing, and that's that's very cool to me. It's, it's interesting. A, it's a very um sort of primal thing that connection of hunters because there i have other interests that and i meet people who share those same interests but i never share the same bond that i have between other hunters who i may have only met sort of in passing or i might have had the chance to hunt with them a bit and i'm you're always left with that friendship and bond that is greater than any other shared interest that i have with other people it's it's strange and i can only think that it kind of goes back to the beginning of uh, humans being human. Definitely. Yes. Yeah, so we're, it's a, it's a tribe of hunters that have a, a specific, a special bond. And you're right with, with other interests. There's a lot of things that I like, like skiing. You, you can bond over skiing, but not in the same way that you can bond over hunting. It's it's completely different. And that's uh that's a good way to put it. So what does the, the rest of the, the year look like for you, Remy? Um, you've just finished hunting, right? Your season's kind of just come to an end. Is that right? Yeah, our, exactly. Yeah. Or most, our, our last bird season ended a couple weeks ago. And for the most part, <clears throat> there's, uh, 
there's really most of the seasons are over here. Uh, I generally head over to New Zealand um, and do some hunting over there in New Zealand or Australia in the March, April, May. Nice time frame um this year i'm actually getting married so i'm going to be getting married in april that's kind of what i'm focusing on and then i'll be doing some hunting after that uh in hawaii and probably new zealand maybe australia and uh some hunting in montana as well you need to cut your journey slightly shorter and come to scotland instead but then again, is it shorter from Montana or something? Like that? I'm, I'm not, not sure. sure. Well, you could fly the other way around. Yeah, you just fly the other way around. You should come and yeah. hunt in Scotland in your off season because you can hunt nearly all year round here. Oh, you can. Almost, oh, yeah. yeah there's yeah, only something you can hunt. Yeah, I would love to. That's that's one of the things that's on my list is to hunt in Europe because I never have, and there is a lot of. It looks like a lot of great hunting over there that I think is fairly. It's fairly hidden to the rest of the world, or at least has been, and it's cool to see it become more known about and more, or at least for us in America, it seems like it didn't exist, and then all of a sudden you start seeing more and more about it and the hunting culture that's there, and you go, that's really cool. I would love to try that out and hunt there and and experience that it's really cool i think the thing is you've got so much on your doorstep and so many different species and the the, your country is so big that why why look outside (laughs) yeah but you know but you don't see a man in tweeds walking across the hill though (laughs) no you don't never (laughs) never you will here Yeah, well, you guys can come over here. We could start the Tweed Revolution. <laughs> hey, now there's an idea. It's yeah. I'm not sure how practical it is. <laughs> well, I don't. Know. The interesting thing that you might not know is that a lot of the tweeds here, so a lot of the 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 estates, which is the privately owned land, which is the, we don't have the sort of the vast public land that you have in 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 the states, but the hunting is still pretty accessible. You just pay. It's not ridiculously expensive but a lot of those woven tweeds are actually were designed if you go far enough back to relate to the type of terrain of that estate so you'll find quite a gray colored tweed in, in a part of the country where there's a lot of granite poking up through the ground you'll find quite a um sort of a yellowy color on the west coast where there's a lot of a particular type of grass so uh, they they knew what they were doing it, those old it guys it is camouflage tweed that's basically yeah. what they designed yeah <laughs> That's interesting. That's really cool. So is it one of the things that I've noticed, at least as far as European hunting, some of the stuff that I've looked into is bow hunting is very either looked down upon or not legal or what's the go on that? So there, there are some, you can't hunt here in the UK with a bow. Um, there are some countries in Europe, uh, like mainland Europe, where you can hunt with a bow, but it's quite often restricted. So in Denmark, they can hunt roe deer, but I think that's it. They can't hunt anything bigger with it. And yeah, I th- you're probably right to some extent. Look down on. I'm not sure if it probably has something to do with our history and killing a lot of people with bows and arrows and crossbows. It might have something to do with that. Exactly. But I, I, I recently wrote a, an article uh, for one of the hunting magazines I write for here. And I, I, I write the back page in there and I, I normally feature either long gone hunters or I've what I started to do when I took it over is I started to feature hunters who are alive today who are making an impact positively in in hunting around the world and I featured uh, Cameron Haynes on the back because of his sort of reach to people who aren't hunters and who of course is a bow hunter uh, as far as I know I think he, he only bow hunts 
And uh, but I, although it was a rifle magazine, I didn't feel like that mattered. Like the tool that he was using, it was more he was a hunter, and this is what he was doing. And I actually got criticised for that because of the attitude towards it here, not by everybody, but by some people. So yeah, you are right, and I think that's something that. Uh, I hope will change with time. I'd like to see bow hunting, regulated bow hunting, back in the UK, but uh, we're we're just, just struggling to keep hunting at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Never mind bringing back bow yeah. hunting. So, yeah, no, I was just curious about that. Uh, just get a different take on it. Um, I mean, I, I I enjoy both rifle hunting and bow hunting. Um, we here we just do whatever we can. Mm. You just try to extend your season. So if you're if you're really into hunting you pick up a bow because then you can hunt more. Yeah. <laughs> you can get more opportunity, more tags, more time, different times of the year because everything's so separate. So you got your bow season and you got some places that have muzzleloader seasons and some places have, and then you've got your rifle season and then you've got your bird season with your shotguns and you just try to do everything you can. There's no bow hunting test at all, is there, in the, the States? Uh, there is, yeah. There is. Uh, it's not necessarily a test, but it's... Uh, like a hunter's, we call it hunter's safety, bowhunter's okay. education. Um, is that a not yearly every... thing or is it a once-off kind of thing? One time, one and done. Uh, see, in in, uh, uh, in Denmark and the places that can bow hunt in Europe, they have a very strict um, test that you have to perform every single year. And from my understanding from the people that have done it, it is actually quite hard. Mm. Especially because they have it for the different types of bows as well. So if you ha- you might have your ticket for a, a compound, but it doesn't mean you can go and hunt with the recurve. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, on a totally different skill yeah. level, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's 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 quite a bit different. The uh almost sometimes when you're if you've hunted with traditional gear, what we call like a recurve or a long bow, and then you go into hunting with a compound bow, it almost seems like the difference between a bow and a rifle. Yeah. Really. I mean we call it bow hunting, but with the technology that's available now, I'm not so sure what it's, it is. It's its own species of, <laughs> it's its own thing now. I, I saw, um, I was looking at some pictures from your, the ATA uh, show in the States and the gadgets that you can now put on a compound bow is unbelievable. What I mean, it is limitless now as in you can have the same amount of gadgets on a compound, if not more than you can put on any rifle. Oh Yeah way more gadgets and technology (laughs) (laughs) and it doesn't seem as regulated as much i think that's some of it is but depending on where you live there's there's all kinds of crazy things my thought on some of that is it just it goes a little far sometimes where you're especially when somebody's like i'm a bow hunter and i don't like this kind of hunting and that kind of hunting they get this attitude where they're a high and mighty bow hunter and i just have to laugh at some of that yeah, because you're a bow hunter, but you use the most advanced technology you can find where you're trying to turn it as far away from bow hunting as possible. Yeah. I mean, it's still tough. It's still bow hunting, but you're using aerospace technologies. <laughs> I mean, just just shoot a gun. Who cares? Well, <laughs> like, the, the thing is, if you look at your a compound bow these days there's not a lot of difference between uh the skill level needed with just shooting a rifle with open, open sights. sights yeah because you're limited by the same uh, need to okay the, i know that i understand that the bullet will go further but you need to be able to hit what you're shooting at and and do it efficiently so your unethical hunter with open sights is going to be in kind of the compound range 
Yeah, definitely. There's some difference in as far as drawing and okay, being, yeah, yeah, you know, and and the the speed. Whereas if you shoot at a deer at 50 meters with a rifle, he can't duck the bullet, but he can duck the 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 arrow. Yeah, that's a fair point. You know, yeah. that, but it's a little bit different as far as that goes. But yeah, you're correct. A lot of the, the skills and everything are are very very similar. But for me, I. It, I think it's strange when groups of hunters become against groups of hunters. It's not helpful, especially in the kind of global position that we're in as hunters. Generally, it's not helpful at all. It's extremely, it's extremely uh, bad. I think for hunting as a general, because if you, if you take in all the hunters of different kinds, I mean, I don't hunt with a crossbow. It's, it's one of those things here. That's kind of, if you bow hunt, you kind of, are ingrained to look down on crossbow hunting but you know for me personally if you hunt with a crossbow that's how you hunt that's great you're a hunter i don't care about what you hunt with or how you hunt as long as you do it in an ethical manner show respect to the animals and to the environment then i'm okay with it but now if you're any kind of hunter and you don't show respect then i think those are the type of hunters that you can weed out of the population and and should be hunters should be against those that bring a bad name to the to the sport and our endeavor and what we love because it's only going to hurt it in the long run yeah definitely i think i heard uh, i think it was steve Rinella was saying that if you're uh, he used the analogy that if you are on a boat if you're a group of hunters on a boat and one of the guys starts shooting holes in the bottom of the boat you're going to kick him out <laughs> and i thought that that was brilliant yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that is a good way to put it. I, I was uh, going to ask you, kind of touching on uh, your years of kind of working hard, and there's many other people in our country and the US that uh, have done years and years of work and have found themselves in the position of making films and uh, they get sponsorship with with people. Um, a bit like ourselves, we, we do get offered uh, various things all the time. Um and the the rise of I guess the the ambassador and the rise of many hunters I don't know what would be the way to do kick grabbing not kick grabbing but yeah, just, doing it for the sake I suppose what you is you're saying the, the the people who are doing it just for the sake of they want to have a stamp of a brand they want, they want a stamp them. of a brand but they also just want the kit um, we've noticed a rise kit, of it kit whores <laughs> kit whores that's it kit whores that's the word I was looking yeah. for um, we've noticed a rise of it here in this country um, and. Have you seen it in in the U.S.? Oh yeah, definitely. It, it's definitely a thing that happens here. I think it's because social media becomes such a good advertising tool, and um, <clears throat> you know, I th- the, the the problem I have with it is I think that it can be a great tool, but I think that when you're delegating someone as a, as an ambassador of something that may not have the experience or the code of ethics or whatever, then you're going to run into some very interesting problems down the road, especially as a company that has a a big spotlight on them. Um, So when you're that, that's the trouble is there's, there might be people that have, you know, go out there and are representing uh, not only a company, but for that company, what that company does hunting yet they may not have the experience in the background. And when something happens, they may not know how to handle themselves or do it in the right light that protects hunting because they aren't as invested as some other people. So there's people that have put in time and are invested and not saying like what your age is or whatever. You can gain the skill and 
and there are people that go out and work hard and do it and that's great but i think that some at some point it gets diluted a little bit and you, you end up with a bunch of weird things that end up happening and it looks bad for hunting as a whole i think uh, if that's kind of what you're talking about yeah i mean, I mean obviously you you've got some some companies that, that back you but i think you do it in a in a way that it's not you need support to be able to do the good work that's being done to be able to tell the stories and, and portray hunting in the light that needs to be told so you need support from 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 companies and, and organizations but you do it in a way that it's not in people's faces i've i see i mean your your instagram for example i i don't know when at what point it started to escalate but you've got shed loads of people on there now um but you know it's clear that you're supported but it's not shove down people's throats and i think there are there are a lot of people who are trying to get into it that don't understand that if you're flying a flag continually it means nothing <laughs> yeah i i agree i think that part of it too is uh you you, you need that support otherwise you, you really couldn't do what you do but also the companies that support me are companies that i would support either way got you yeah um i i don't just go out and look at Oh, this 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 person wants to give a a helping hand. Well, it's something that I would never use. Um, it's some kind of frivolous product that is just a product, and they just want someone to promote it in a way that um, doesn't make any sense to me. It's something that I would never do because I, I don't. I guess it's me just not caring enough to want to be that person that just whores out products to people that i don't believe in you know i think, I think that people see the, through it though i, th yeah, I think I that think your average do, person yeah. on the street they see through that and they want people who genuinely they use the stuff because it's great kit and like you said it's kit you probably use anyway which is great and then you get to support the company the company gets to support you and people believe in you rather than people that well yeah. of course he's using whatever yeah. it is he's paid to Exactly. Yeah. And I, for me, like any company that I've worked with is, is more along the lines of like we help each other and stuff that I've been using for years. I think one of the hard, like a company that I work with, just as an example, the company that I work with that I think is one of the types of brands that get thrown up down people's throats and that makes sense is, uh, like supplements. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you see like a lot of supplements. Well, a company that I work with is wilderness athlete. And this is just my personal experiences. The reason that I work with a, a company that does supplement type stuff is because when I'm guiding and for a long time, years before I ever did any writing, years before I did ever did any TV stuff, before they made performance type drinks, Gatorade was the only thing and you couldn't take Gatorade into the backcountry. This was the only company in the U.S. that made like powdered stuff that you could take into the backcountry, and I started using it. It's like I've used it for 15, 10 years. I can't even remember how long. Who knows how long? And it's like helped. So then to use it when you have a legitimate reason that you use something, it makes more sense. But there's a lot of people that promote that kind of stuff in a weird way that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, we see or it all the time. <laughs> you just go like, okay, so how does that – protein powder make you kill more deer <laughs> you know? well it, i sprinkle it on the wind <laughs> yeah but i mean now if it's like i take it protein type powder as backcountry food because you can't carry enough like i don't know if you guys 
I'm assuming you guys can probably do some like backcountry type hunts. A little bit. We, we do bit, more yeah. of it than most people because uh, without going sort of deep, deep into it, that kind of accessibility is not really there, but it's the kind of hunting we do. So it's the kind of stuff that right. we've tried to encourage people to do. And we actually take We take clients out doing for that, that oh, kind cool. of experience. But here in, in, in the UK and still... We started doing it, we've been doing it two years now, and there's still no one else doing that kind of hunting here. But, but we, we were doing it before two years ago, and the only reason why we did it is because so many people asked us, can we come with you? Um, so yeah, there was kind of yeah, so many people asking, so we decided, well, we'll give right. it a go. We, we don't want to keep it to ourselves, let's yeah. try and share this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, because I do, a lot of the hunts that I do are that type of hunt, like backcountry. So you pack up your backpack, you carry in your food, and on those kind of hunts, you're carrying a heavy pack. I'm carrying camera gear. I'm burning thousands of calories, and you can only carry so many to refuel. You can only eat so many calories yeah. to start off, but you can only refuel so many ways. So for us out here, that's that's huge is fueling. Like, you know, we use a lot of dehydrated meals and this, that, and the other thing. And when you've eaten as many dehydrated meals as I have, you don't want to eat any more dehydrated meals. Yep. <laughs> Anything you can do to spice it up and change it is is because you, you just stop eating. You just stop and you're burning calories and then you end up losing a lot of weight and losing a lot of strength and feeling pretty bad by the end of – then everything starts to go, especially when you're in wilderness situations and rough places. It's, it's a weird cycle of your body starts to get wore down then you mentally start to give up and then you want to go home and then it's miserable and it's wet and it's cold and there's no way and you're – miles away from the roads and it just becomes miserable so you just try to do everything you can to make it not miserable i guess it, it's funny how if, you, if, you, if you've had a few months in the off season where you're not eating the dehydrated whatever dehydrated meals is when you eat one again for the first time it's like man this is good this is good yep. but then <laughs> as you get through the season you just, I, I just can't do it you know there might be six choices but by the end of it, they all but, taste the same. <laughs> but it's also by the end of it, you've eaten all your favorite ones, yeah. so you end up with just beef and potato for a week solid. <laughs> yeah, that's never. No matter how much you like one, don't overeat it. That's no. yeah. Because there was, uh, I had some favorites, and I was, I would, I'd eat them for five days in a row. Now I can't even smell them without getting sick. Oh man, <laughs> thinking about it. So they, yeah, but. There's, um, yeah, I think back to your point there, there is a lot of, a lot of that where it's people throwing products down people's throats and I don't, I'm not really into that. I don't like that, but there is the balance of, there are companies out there that make products and, and think of when you really think about it, what hunters talk about when it's me and my buddies sitting down talking, we're talking about gear most of the time. Yeah. It's like, what in our kit do we like? What don't we like? What rain gear do we like? What pack do we like? What don't we like? So for me to be able to share what I like with a lot of people, I don't think is a bad thing because those are the questions no. that I get asked if I wasn't sharing it. Just out of interest, what pack do you use? This is a genuine interest because, because we, we are looking for new packs. Uh, that, that So one of my favorite packs is called the Outdoorsman Pack. Um, it's like a – it's a – but I like frame type packs. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, for frame type pack, I think that's the best one because it sits up. It doesn't like, it's not too big and bulky and loud. It's still fairly compact, but you can fit a lot into it. You can put a lot of weight into it and it's extremely durable. 
Um, I've used one for a long time and just literally repelled, you know, roped them down cliffs and just never had any problems with them. Bulletproof. Made in the States, I assume. Uh, what was that? Is it made in the States somewhere? Yeah, it's made in the States. It's a, it's a small company. I would say they, they pretty much just as close to hand making a pack as you could get really. Um, they injection mold all the frames and then they just have them assembled. And so, I think they might even be hand sewn bags. I'm not sure. Um, but they're, they're pretty top quality. It's, uh, I don't even know how you find them. Call, uh, the, the outdoorsman. I'll, I'll outdoors. give it a Google pack. Yeah. Give it a, give it a look. They're, they're real good. Uh, if you want an internal frame pack, I like, I've been using that stone glacier. Those have been pretty good as I've well. I've heard of those. Yeah. Yeah, so the, those are really good for internal frames, for external frames. I like that outdoorsman pack. It's just it holds the weight up off your like where it's supposed to around your hips, and it's got a small shelf. It's fairly fairly light but durable light. It's not ultra light. You can go through some brush, and it's not going to tear up. Or load it on a horse if you're going through brush, it doesn't tear up like other packs might. Well, that, for, I'd say between. Sorry, I mean, okay. I was just going to say for our listeners, I don't think it gets much uh, better recommendation than uh, at this point, everyone's heard the amount of hunting that you've done. <laughs> yeah. And if this is what you've ended up with after all of that hunting, then I think that's a pretty good recommendation for packs. Yeah. I mean, because there, there's, you kind of got to find the balance on packs too. Because some packs, if you're just hauling meat and you know, look, I'm going on a moose hunt and I'm just a meat packing guy. Um, there's a, a, a pack called Barney's of Alaska. Those are great for just hauling meat, but they aren't the, the sneakiest, quietest. It's just a traditional freighter pack. Um, so that's kind of why I landed on that outdoorsman one. Cause I love the ability of like a freighter pack, but I wanted something a little more versatile. Um, and then those, those stone glacier packs, the reason I like a frame pack is because when I've got my rifle, I can throw the sling over the frame yeah, and it holds it and you don't have to, it's just easy. Uh, and there's sometimes a little bit more room and weight bearing ability, but the, the stone glacier ones for the, are super light. And then you, the, the bag comes off of the, the, in, it's an internal frame, but the bag hooks to the outside of it. It's, kind of a hybrid i guess it's still an internal frame but the, the bag pops off and then you can put meat between the bag and the frame portion uh, so you can pack out without out. with your stuff still in your your bag but with the, your the stuff meat on the still in your bag yep That's but clever. You're, you're not gonna put more than a quarter in there but they've got these they've got these cool almost like parachute material bags that you can put boned out meat in and it sits in it, it actually sits pretty good so like that elk hunt in Alaska, we were all using stone glacier packs and I've, I've taken a liking to it. Um, I've just used the outdoorsman one for so long and just so used to it. It's hard for me to, I I've literally tried every pack and I keep going back to that one. So, but I would say the, the top two, the, the two that I use would be the stone glacier and that outdoorsman. Uh, we could uh, oh, carry oh, on. Uh, so oh, no, no, I'm not. I wasn't going to quite finish up. I was just going to say that we we could carry on talking on. There's a whole heap of things I haven't even had a chance to ask you about yet. But we are going to start wrapping up now. Yeah, so we'll start we, off with what we'll just have to have you on again, Remy. <laughs> I, I was going to say that um, 
obviously we need to let you crack on with your day yeah. and we need to finish our day at some point. Um, but I just want to ask you about your, your free diving and spearfishing because it's something I do a lot of and I've done a lot in Australia um, and I see pictures of you, you doing it. So have you been doing that since you were young as well? Um, no, I started doing that maybe when I was 20 or so, uh, a little bit later in life. Um, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed it. I, I did it really wrong for a long time and kind of got some instruction on how to do it right. Uh, I was never really good at it. I was just something that I go to the ocean, do a lot, really enjoyed. Um, we'd, we'd fish for, I'd, I'd go for abalone, which, mm. um, you're, in New Zealand, they're Pawa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, since, I, since I was a little kid. Very nice. Yeah, they're really good. Like shell, uh, a big snail, essentially. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've, I've done that since I was a little kid. And then kind of went started to do the spear fishing stuff. I spent quite a bit of time in the Dominican Republic uh, when I was in, uh, I don't know, college age. Um, and so I, I picked up spear fishing more there my my grandmother lives in hawaii so i would go over there and visit as well and all and very nice countries fishing. i might add for their oceans <laughs> unlike yeah, the north yeah. sea no <laughs> <laughs> uh, but where i uh grew up as a kid where we do the abalone was that cold california coast type stuff so you, you do the the abalone stuff in the cold nasty ocean but most of the spear fishing I like to do is in warmer, warmer <laughs> water, nice, clear, warm water. Don't have to wear a, a wetsuit or anything. Makes it nice. Uh, but yeah, it's something that I, I really enjoy to do. I'll, I'll be going back and doing a little bit more here um, next uh, in April. Probably do some more spear fishing, and it's just it's just a fun. It's hunting underwater. I really yeah. enjoy it. Yeah. It's, uh, the last thing I wanted to just ask you about was, at what point were you conscious about you, the sort of the the rise of your public profile? Because I mean, you, you mention your name with a lot of hunters now, and most people will be aware of your shows or aware of who you are. And as I said earlier, you've got a, a very large social media um, following. I mean, all of that comes with to some extent, a, a certain responsibility because what you put up, and we kind of touched on it earlier. It's a bit like Spider-Man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but at what point were you aware that, man, you know, a lot of people are watching what I'm doing now? I, I still don't think I'm that aware of it. It's a very strange thing for me. I Because, I, I don't know, I, I'm the type of person, I'm an extroverted introvert, if that makes sense. Like I, I, I do these things, but I'm very, I'm a very type of person that likes to stay off to myself. So it's a strange thing for me to actually even do any of this. Um, but it's what I love to do. So I don't, it doesn't make any sense. I, I, what I do is, I guess, I don't know. So for me, it's, it's, it's fairly weird because I'll go to like, say a sports show and a lot of people will recognize me. I'm like, where do they even know me from? But I guess... <laughs> It all adds up, you know, like I feel like I'm fairly off on my own. I don't really uh, do but, a lot of stuff like that. And but then, you broadcast then, it to the world yeah. through your films. But I broadcast it to the world. It's the strangest thing. I just like to do my thing and then and share it with people. I, I feel like because I get the opportunity to to be out there so much that I feel like I – 
by sharing it with people, I can give impart some of my knowledge or adventure or inspire other people. So I guess that's, that's for me is, is the big thing is to be able to share that with people is what I enjoy doing. So whether I can help some, uh, the best thing that I hear is someone saying like, Oh, I've been watching your videos and because of it, I've been more successful. And I think to myself how, but it makes sense. Like when I think back on my life, I was very into reading books. I was very into watching things and those helped push me in the direction that I go. So for me, that's, that's, I guess my awareness is just giving that back. Yeah. And, and I think it definitely I, does help. I mean, I, you know, I see this, the stuff that you post and, and other guys and the stuff like the so Steve, you know, a load of Steve Vanilla has a huge following. Um, and it, it does help. And the more great content like that, there is out there telling the right kind of messages it can only be good for hunting so you know we, we you might not want almost not want it but we need people like you and steve to be telling those great stories yeah and, and i'm not i don't uh dislike any if if somebody follows or whatever that's like the reason that i put it out there is to hmm. for people to be able to see it and hopefully enjoy it and maybe change people's perspective that hunt or don't hunt or whatever, just, just portray it in a positive light because it's something that I love. I feel like if it's something that I love, I've worked hard to get to this position to be able to share it with a lot of people. And I feel like it's a, it's a good responsibility to have to be an ambassador for not for essentially promoting what I love to a larger audience. And that's the cool thing about social media and the internet and all that is people in the UK can watch solo hunters and enjoy it and think, Oh, hunting's pretty cool. Or that type of hunting's cool, where that wasn't even a thought even 10 years ago. No, I would say. no it was so far removed from anything that if you, if you never yeah. left our shoreline, it was a totally different type well, of hunting. And, and the fact that you've got guys from the United States and vice versa from the UK um, having an effect in other countries as well is, is actually quite a crazy thing it is. to get your head around that that you are essentially touching people's lives across a massive ocean. Yeah, uh, that's really cool. One of my favorite things is to follow hunters from, well, that's how, I don't even remember when I started noticing your guys' stuff. I thought, hey, these guys are doing it right. These guys have some great videos. They've got some amazing photos. Like, they get it. And there's there's a lot of people in other places that I would never be exposed to if it weren't for that. Especially uh, Instagram, especially, is kind of out of all the social media, the one that I like doesn't have as much clutter and crap. We, we agree. That's, that's exactly what we say. Whenever we speak to anyone, they go, you know, talking about social media, and we say Instagram is the one because you just don't have all of that bullshit in the news feed that you get on Facebook. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say it, like I, I don't think I, I probably look at Facebook once or twice a year just to answer the stack <laughs> really? that people send, and I, I don't really. You'll be like, oh yeah, I, I, I just, I, I absolutely hate it. I, it's just too much noise. It's, I'm used to a life where I get away from noise. And yeah. This is there's this app that just crams it down your throat. But I feel like at least Instagram, I can find and seek out the things that I'm into, and and really you know read and a lot there's a lot of great content on there i, I feel yeah. like there's just more quality content from people that have cool stories and cool photos and things that i like videos and 
stuff like that. So as far as social media goes, that's that's where I would spend my time if I'm going to go on it. Well, I enjoy your account and I enjoy the notion of sophisticated selfies, which is how you pitch it. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I absolutely hate selfies, but it's my job. It's solo hunter. I film myself. We pretty much, I, I was actually going through my just photos the other day because I was in the process of kind of moving and going through a bunch of old pictures from hunting and I'm looking at them and I'm going, thinking about it. I haven't changed much since <laughs> I was a kid. I would go out hunting by myself. I would set up the camera and take a picture. It was like, nothing's different. I'm not doing anything different because technology's changed. I'm the same person. I'm doing the same exact thing. I talk and speak the same way as I did when I was 13 years old. But now you have a beard. Hunting. And now I just have a beard <laughs> and a platform to share it with other people. That's the only difference. I haven't changed hardly at all. So there's not a lot of progression in me. I just go through the pictures. I think that's it's good. It's the same. Yeah. Because exactly. people take you for exactly who you are. Uh, Remy, I that uh, I think yeah, I think that's why people follow you. And on that note, we're going to say thank you very much for joining us. We've taken up enough of your time today, um, but please, if you will, at some point uh, soon, come back on the podcast so that we can talk about all the other things that we didn't have a chance to talk about today. Definitely, I appreciate it, and thank you guys very much for having me and and taking the time to to reach out. And I appreciate it. And so, and come hunt with us in Scotland. Make it. We'll make a plan. Uh, definitely. Yeah, no, definitely I will. I I would love to. That'd be great. And that's it for another two weeks. Well, I was actually thinking another two weeks, but we might put one out in uh, a week's time, an interim one, uh, because there's been a lot happening in the news recently in regards um, to uh, new animal animal welfare things that are coming into the UK and other things that have been happening around the globe. So we might have one in a week's time, but we will definitely be back in our normal time slot of uh, every second Thursday. Basically, and I, I think you're going to be hearing from Corin Smith. We haven't recorded the podcast yet. He is uh, a fishing guide here in Scotland, but has guided fishing around the world. And we're going to talk uh, a lot about the conservation of our wild fish species and basically the state of affairs in the UK and globally right now. Because he, he does a lot of work behind the scenes and uh, is in the process of setting up some campaigning to basically protect our wild fish stocks. Don't forget, you can listen to the show on nearly every single platform, YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. It is all on there. If you want to get in contact with the show, it's podcast at Pace Production UK, and the website is all the Ws, thepacebrothers.com. I think that's nearly it. Oh, 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 yeah, and grab yourself a car sticker. We really want to make this car sticker thing work, so when we're at shows, we see loads of car stickers. You'll hear from us in two weeks. 